Welcome back to Obscure Broadcasting's podcast, Famous Last Words. Today we're talking about can you trust your fellow bunkmates and other things, fun things to do with flamethrowers. From 1982, directed by John Carpenter, The Thing. My name's Andrew. And I'm Teresa. The Thing is a one of the classic, most classic. The mostest classic is, as my father would say and be disappointed by it, is the almost completely unusual movie of The Thing. Uh, almost unique, nearly singular, uh, The Thing. This movie is kind of amazing. It is a great score. It is a great performances. It is great practical effects. This movie has it all. A fantastic screenplay uh, and a great script. And what makes it great is that it works without the alien elements. It works in just this whole fear of... Um, kind of the fear of the other, but also fear of like paranoia. And it builds on this whole idea of that can you really trust who you're around and there the danger could be lurking very it could be anywhere. Yeah, I think the very obvious thing that you think about when you think about the thing thing if you've seen it is the remarkable spectral effects and just like the kind of grotesque the creature alien shapeshifter that they've created. Um, but the, I think the real horror in the movie is what you said, like that no one trusts anyone in the film and they don't know who is the thing because it's a shapeshifter. And so that's just like a bunch of humans not trusting each other with like an occasional alien scare. <laughs> yeah. The sequence with the blood where they're pushing the hot wire into the, it's, that's like one of the great sequences of filmmaking of all time. Yeah, that might be, like, one of the best suspense-building scenes, like, in the history of filmmaking, because the entire time you're just, like, sitting on the edge, and nothing's really happening. All they're doing is testing Ta- their... Talking. They're talking, and then they're, like, sticking this hot wire into a Petri disc, disc and um, you're just, like, waiting for something to happen. And it slowly comes down, and it gets... Ugh, it's just so good, and then their banter... Between it and then the way that it's edited with like quick cuts and single, like a lot of single shots. And a lot of reaction shots. And a lot of reaction shots makes the tension more. Like it's not just like, you know, if this happened in a play and you just saw eight people or however many there were um, sitting in a row doing this, it wouldn't be the same. It's like the way that it's filmed and the way that it's edited that builds all that tension. And this movie does a thing like, pun intended, this movie does a great job of building this atmosphere and like of the scary suspense. And a lot of horror movies, a lot of bad horror movies don't do that. They don't build that suspense as well. John Carpenter even sometimes doesn't do that as well as he does it in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Thinking about In the Mouth of Madness and another movie we talked about, The Fog. Um, those movies are good, but they don't have this like this extra X factor, which is like this perfectly paced and and this movie's well really well paced. Mm-hmm. It never drags. It never feels like it's rushing through anything. Everything is done like beat for beat really, really well. Yeah, I think the story is incredibly simple, so it allows them to spend the time with pacing, with 
character development. Um, there's a little bit of one-dimensionalness to all of the characters, but I think that helps in this film because you immediately know who everyone is and what their role is on the camp. Um, mm-hmm. And that helps differentiate who is who. And then when they start acting kind of strange or perceived strangeness, it allows the viewer to also accuse them of being the thing. And so I think that's really effective. And yeah, I mean, you're right. The screenplay is is really well done and it doesn't try to do too much, which I think was crucial for this kind of story. Yeah. I thought also thought that the sequence at the end of the movie too is like a cliffhanger, but not done cheesily at all. Like where they're both sitting there because the thing at the end of the movie is like, you don't know if one of them is the thing. It could be either of them, but it's the nighttime and they're in the middle of the, you know, like winter is kind of like, they're going to freeze to death. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're in a lot, like it's a very good ending. Yeah. I think the other incredibly disturbing thing about the film is the fact that they're in Antarctica and like, there's no one there, but them it's freezing cold. You know, they could die being outside for an extended period of time, you know. So there's like that external threat and claustrophobia that is constant and how they're trying to survive in this like crazy environment. And they're trying to then they're being attacked by this like alien shapeshifter. It's just it's a perfect setting for like a tension right. movie. It's <clears throat> I knew more Kone did the score to this movie. And contributed to the score of this movie. So, of course, it's, like, great. Of course, the score is amazing. <laughs> and and Ennio Morricone was one of the great... It's hard to say that he was because he just recently died. But versus one of the greatest scores of all time. Uh, cinema Party, so The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Um, the There's one cue in this movie that he wrote for this movie that... Upon hearing it now, you realize that it really wouldn't work in this movie because it's very... It does a lot of the Ennio Morricone things. It's got, like, a kind of a... Rhythm and it kind of builds tension. It's a little bit angular, um, but another movie that used that that used that unused piece of music for the score, and is another movie about kind of anticipating and not knowing who is who is, Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight actually used an unused piece of score from the thing in Hateful Eight, which I thought was a kind of an interesting, nice homage. Probably not lost on Quentin Tarantino because he's a <laughs> super nerd. Um, yeah, it's perfectly homage. I mean, there's so many so much winter and cold and his entire story is also about not trusting other people because some of them are good and some of them are bad and some of them are both. And, you know, I think that's completely purposeful. And I, I think that's a nice touch to hateful eight. Yeah. And it won Ennio Morricone the Oscar. So, so he got to use that piece of music and win an Oscar. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the thing is one of those movies that, if you have any interest in movie making or if you consider yourself someone that likes movies, you need to see the thing. Like, it's a horror movie, yes, and there's parts that are really scary. You and I will probably should do more of it. We do not. We never do midnight movies. There's sometimes midnight <laughs> movies here. There's lots of movies I've wanted to see. There's lots of movies that you've wanted to see that we've been interested in. Never do it. Always gets to be like 11 o'clock and we're like, we're not going to leave our house. It's 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> the only time we've ever done is to go see the thing on the big screen, which I thought was a hundred percent worth it. Yeah, if you ever, and it was packed. Yeah, 
No, it was amazing. And even though I hate staying up past midnight because <laughs> I'm like 100 years old now, um, it was so worth it. And it was amazing to see it on the big screen for the first time for me ever. And it's like one of my favorite movies of all time. I've been I've seen it several times and I started I watched it when I was like 13 years old or something and it just stuck with me forever. So if you get a chance, if you've never seen it and you're okay watching some horror films, like definitely see the thing because try to catch it on the big screen because on the big screen it's yeah. If we ever get back to the big screen, right? Which is a whole nother conversation. We're not going to do there. I really hope movie theaters last. I know you're. We don't go to the movie theaters a lot. We probably go a little bit more than the average person, or right around the same as the average person. At least I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably go more than the average person, but I miss it a lot. Actually, you know, I haven't been to a movie since January. And I kind of miss it. Like, I honestly, like, and I know a lot of, you know, a lot of what I've done uh, in my professional career, playing live music for movies and doing showings and and playing at literally hundreds of independent movie theaters, it makes me very sad to know that a lot of them might not come back and, and might not survive this time. And the movies, I think, are a place of magic. And it's sad that, like, a lot of that magic just won't exist anymore. I mean, even if movie theaters close down... The movie magic will always be there, and I think in-person experiences are still important in cinema, even though it's not like live music or something where you're interacting with a performer. I don't think that's going to die. I think it would just come back in a different way, and it might take a while, and like maybe the theaters wouldn't be the original theaters that existed, but I think there's still hope for our movie theaters. Yeah, and if if you have the means to do so, I know money's tight for everyone. If you have the means and there's a local movie theater in your town or near you that you go to, you know, find out if they're doing gift certificates because, you know, we don't know when we're going to go back to the movies, but it really helps them out to have any sort of monicum of revenue. Those They're usually big spaces that require a lot of a lot of money to keep running, and winter is coming, and they had to heat them to keep pipes from bursting. So the thing was a movie made to be seen at a movie theater, and um, I love this movie, like you said, so... Start ending strong with 31 Days of Horror. I'm Andrew. And I'm Teresa.